We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. We're turning again to the book of Jude, the next to the last book in our New Testament that we're arranged. And we will visit again what the Lord has to say through Jude. I'm going to read a portion again, much like I did last week. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unawares or unnoticed who long ago were mocked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner as these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a reviling accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. 
And whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and they have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by winds. They are like late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And now it says in verse 14, now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all their harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken of against him or have spoken against him. So here we have it. These are very strong words that are given here at the beginning of the book of Jude. And just as a quick reminder to ourselves, Jude is speaking a word that is of utmost importance. It is an essential message to his audience. Because if they fail to hear and heed, then there is going to be massive, catastrophic, bad consequences for failing to hear the message that he's delivering here. We talked about Jude and himself being a man of God and one who honors God. And, and I spoke about him being a bondservant to the Lord Jesus and and of how his connection to Christ was more important than what anything he could devise of his own importance. But you know, when I thought again about the way I expressed the bondservant part, we we must not think of it in in negative terms the way that he is using this word here. He's a bound servant and he's bound, he's, he's connected to the Lord. But it's not an adversarial connection. He's not in an adversarial position with the Lord. It's a love bond. Maybe we should think about it in that way. A love bond servant, That's rather than just simply bond servant, to get more of the flavor of really what the connection is and what it means. And so I just want to bring that. 
And so when then we begin to see how he said that he wanted to speak about the common salvation, this also is something which we can think about in terms of his connection to Christ because it's all about him. And this is what he wanted to do, this honorable thing. But because of that connection to Christ and by, because he's led by the Holy Spirit of God, then he follows what the Spirit of God directs him to do. And he does that. And that's how this message came to be that he's given to these people, very serious words. He tells them of their need to contend for that faith which was one time delivered, just once, once for all. And we are recipients of that delivery. But you know, God didn't just bring holy men to speak out the words of God. But he, he selected certain ones to be in the forefront of propagating the word. So that down through the ages, the word has kept on being propagated. People kept on speaking it out, and people still do. And because there were faithful ones who did that before we ever heard, we were able to hear. And many more, who knows how many more, will hear the same words, the same message, and be blessed likewise. And so that's what he says to them. And again, how he spoke of them as his beloved. And so he has a love connection or, to them as well, the bond, the bond of love between himself and them. And so they together, they have this bond connection to the Lord and to each other. And then when they get to the dread, dreaded words in verse number four, again, certain men or certain ones. And I keep pausing when I get to this. Crept in. Unnoticed. Unawares. Seems like I just can't get past that. I, it just arrests me every time I go there, you know? But this is what it says. That that's what they did. They were ungodly. They turned the grace of God into lewdness. They deny the Lord. And then he says in verse 5, I want to remind you, remind you, though you once knew this. And then he goes on to say, I want to remind you. Now, we know that in order for him to remind them, it means that they didn't know it. As he said, you already knew this. We don't get reminded of things we never knew. Sometimes we would, you know, think in terms of, well, I wish or I should have known it. Or somebody might say, let me see if I can refresh your memory, but if you never got it the first time, it's not a reminder. But he said, I want to remind you that you know, though you once knew this. And then he moves along and he talks about what the illustrations are that he's going to use here. That there were people who were in the land of Egypt. 
and they got delivered from there. They were in a horrifying physical bondage, and they got delivered. He talked about angels, angels who were in the place that God had created for them to be. They were in the proper place. They were where they were supposed to be. He talks about angels. And then he talks about people at Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he uses three illustrations to say that it doesn't matter at what level or who turns in opposition to God or to defiance of God. God is, he knows all about it. And he will bring judgment where judgment is due. And so those ones who left Egypt and were delivered in that physical delivery and were in that wilderness, who did not believe, that's what it said, they afterward, after even after having done this great thing for them, then they were killed. They were they met with their demise. They did not believe. The angels didn't keep their proper domain. And I used the word volition before. That people and these angels, they had an opportunity. God had made it such that they could make choices. And they did. But as we say over and over again, choices have consequences. And while we can choose certain paths, the consequences of those paths are not left up to us. If you go down the wrong path, you're going to meet with trouble. And you can't go down the wrong path and meet with the things that are on the right path because they're not there. So if you're going to meet up with the good things and the right things, you're going to be, you have to be on the right path. They had an opportunity to make a choice. But the choice they made caused these angels to be now reserved for everlasting judgment. And then the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities were surrounding them. And we read about all the details of, a lot of details about these things in the Old Testament about what happened there. But it was an awful thing. It was a thing that was in defiance of God's created order. It was a thing they did in opposition to what God said. They decided that they had their own rule and they're going to live by it. That's defiance. That's as if to say, well, who is God anyway? And why, need, why bow to him when they think that themselves are, they themselves are so brilliant that they, they don't need him? So those angels, Sodom and Gomorrah. And then the verse that it talks about, likewise, these dreamers. Now, certain men, now they're referred to as dreamers. So we get the idea that the authority that they are operating out of is, or, they're, they're, or we might say they're the source of some of the things that they're doing and saying comes out of the dreams not coming from the Holy Spirit of God, 
but out of dreams. Now, I don't know if you have, but you probably most of you have heard certain ones who have made very fantastical statements about their particular experiences and, and different things that they will purport to be from God. <laughs> but they're just like these dreamers. He said, what these were doing, defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, speaking evil of dignitaries, speaking evil of dignitaries. And this dramatic contrast between these ones and Michael the Archangel, now that's quite a fascinating thing. What about Michael the Archangel? I put a few things, verses in here. I think I have them in this set of notes. Uh, Michael the Archangel, he encountered or had a struggle with the devil concerning the body of Moses. And the scripture says he didn't bring a reviling accusation against Satan. But he just said, the Lord rebuke you. Judgment ultimately is the Lord's uh, in his purview. It's not that he was given honor to the devil, but uh, we can glean from this that one of the things I think we can draw from it is, is the idea, as I, as I expressed before, is this whole notion that it's, it's God, it's to him, not to ourselves, so that however much he allows us to get spiritual growth and development and even to be filled with the spirit and all that, it's not our power, it's his, and we operate according to that. And so it talks about Michael the Archangel. So he was, I have, I have two references here related to Michael. One from Daniel chapter 10 and one from Revelation chapter 12. Now in Daniel chapter 10, we see a situation where Daniel had a prayer. And he prayed his prayer but there was a delay in the coming of the answer from God, a delay. An angel had been dispatched to go and to deliver the message, but there was a delay. Now, this is really quite something. Let me just read some of these verses here. In chapter 10, verses 7 to 14 is, is the main part of it, but I'm just going to read from verse 12. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day, that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard, and I came because of your words. And so the prayer of Daniel, it was heard on high. God purposed to answer. And Daniel stood and waited day one and day two and day three and on and on it goes. He doesn't know what's going on. But he knows who the God is to whom he prayed. And that's the important thing. 
And so the persistence in prayer, persistence in prayer, perseverance in prayer. And then verse 12 said, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, so we think of this as a bad angel, interfering with the good angel who had the message. And then it says, And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, he came to help me. For I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So Michael the Archangel, this is the one who bared, who dared not bring the reviling accusation, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. It is contending with Satan over the body of Moses. In Revelation chapter 7, we see that there was a battle in heaven. And Michael the Archangel is involved in that as well. It may be that Mike, this Michael was the highest of the archangels. In verse 7 of Revelation 12, it says this, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. Now, that's a hard thing to imagine. We read about battles here. I talked about some of that last couple of times here among us. But think of war in heaven. Man. That's something. But anyway, it's, that's what it says here. But it says then that those who were walking, the dragon, his angels, they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Who deceives, deceives, deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I stress deceit because this is what Jude is dealing with here. These people are coming in, and they are deceiving the people. And the people who follow those ones who are bringing the deceitful messages are in peril. They are in, grievous, in a grievous position, problem. But it says here in verse number 10, and back in Jude again, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like Bruce Beast in these, they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves. They speak. They have a lot of words to say. And they do say them. Now, I pause a little bit on this speak. Speak evil on what they do not know. And Jude has a lot to say about this part. I'm just going to read out here some of the things that I picked out here that has to do with speaking in these few verses. I just read that one in verse 8. Speak in evil of dignities. And then in verse 10, it talks about these speak. And in verse 15, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In verse 18, it talks about grumblers and complainers and mouthing of great swelling words, flattering people. These certain men, these dreamers, 
they have a lot of words. And in these, they, they corrupt themselves. Now, we think about James in chapter 1 and verse 26, where it says that if anyone among you thinks of himself as religious, but does not bridle his tongue, and then it says, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless or in vain in the old King James. Bridleless, doesn't bridle his tongue. But the part I was drawing attention to here is deceives his own self. This is what it said about these ones. They corrupt themselves. So the, where's the fault to be laid? Where's the blame? Where does it go? Where's the proper placement of it? Themselves. That can be a hard, difficult thing for us sometimes. Who wants to take the thing, uh, blame for anything, really? And we look at our national scene today, and we see people do all kinds of things. And some of those things, we, obviously, everybody pretty much knows whose fault the thing is. And folks will come on the national stadium stage and, and declare, it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. But there's a word that follows. If you see in verse 11 it says some dreadful words. Can you think of more dreadful words? Woe to them. Doom. Destruction. Judgment. Woe to them. That will arrest the attention if we're paying attention. We don't want to be on the wrong side of that one. Woe to them. And then it says three illustrations here, or three examples here that are given about some historical events about which they knew the details of it. Jew doesn't have to explain to them about this because they know this. Now for us, we to know what he's talking about here, we have to have some knowledge of the information that's presented in other parts of the scriptures. Because he, when he talks about Cain, or he talks about Balaam, or, and, and talks about Korah, Cain and Balaam and Korah, what about those men? Well, we're supposed to be able to understand something from that. Now, it's talked about there. It, it says here, they, let me just read it here again. Woe to them, for they have, it says, gone in the way of Cain, run greedily in the era of Balaam, for profit and perish in the rebellion of Korah. Now, my, let me just go through these a few, a little bit. In Genesis chapter 4, in verses 3 to 5, I'm going to look at. And here's what it says there. That in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock out of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell 
Now, Cain, the way of Cain. So what was the problem with Cain? Can we be clear to understand that both Cain and Abel had an opportunity to bring an offering that would be pleasing to the Lord? Cain made a different choice. And God still gave him opportunity, but it didn't heed the opportunity. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, yes, speaks. And so now we see what the difference is, what separated the two men. It was by faith that Abel brought his offering. He understood what God required, and he brought it. Cain took a different choice. <clears throat> and so, Scripture tells us faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you've got to hear the word of God. I submit to you that both men heard the word of God. And so Cain then was liable for what happened to him by faith. Who's liable for what happens to people who reject the Lord? Who say, I don't want him, I don't need him. Who's, li who's liable for that? And then it talks about Balaam here. Balaam for profit. You remember Balaam. You can read some about this in chapter uh, 16 of Numbers. I'm going to read a few verses here, not uh, from, from numbers uh, necessarily much, but, but Balaam was a, he, he was a prophet who was a man who was supposed to be doing the bidding of God to, to deliver the messages of God. But there was Balak who wanted God's people to be cursed, and Balaam sought for a way uh, to get a prophet and to do that for him. And while he, three times he failed to be able to deliver the curse, but he succeeded in bringing all kinds of havoc and problem. Second Peter, chapter two, verses fifteen, in, in, in the section of fifteen and twelve to fifteen, it talks about these ones. Uh, having a heart full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, a heart trained in covetous practices, accursed children, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. We must not love the wages of unrighteousness. You know, the scripture says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we must not be partakers of that. Another reference to Balaam here from Revelation chapter 2. In verse 14, here's what I read. But I have a few things, and this is, about, this is referring to the church in Pergamos. I have a few things against you because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And so that's why I say 
he didn't succeed in pronouncing the curses, but he succeeded in doing a grievous harm because he taught them to do evil and to be in rebellion against God. And said it was a horrible thing. But then we come to Korah. What about Korah? Now, Korah, if you will recall, he was... He, he, he rebelled against the authority that God had given to Moses and Aaron. And he upbraided them and said, you know, you take too much to yourselves. We all are holy people. That kind of an attitude. Korah comes out of the same tribe as Moses and Aaron, out of Levi. But he's saying, no, there's something wrong here. So, God, so Moses responds to Korah, and we say that, that in Numbers chapter 16, verses 9 to 11. He said, is it a small thing that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them, that he has brought you near to himself, you and, and your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? Now, this is a really horrible thing. High position, close to God. Are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is error <laughs> that you complain against him? So then he said, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? I just that, that just allow me to say this, we, brother Johnny. I remember him saying something like that one time. We were talking, and we were talking about what I'm. I don't remember whatever it was, but it said, "What? What are you? you know, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing?" <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, we'll keep those uh, in prayer. Now, in verses 31 to 35. God responds to Korah. And let me read some of those verses here. I'm going to skip down to verse 33. I printed out 31 and 35, but for the sake of time, I'm skipping to 33. So they and all those who went down with them alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel were around them, who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. And so the ultimate thing was that God brought judgment. That's what the idea was there. They raised up their voices against God and his authority, the authority that he had given to Moses and Aaron. But God was not going to have it. And the horrible end came to them as a consequence of that. And so Jude is saying, there are certain people who are in among you that are doing things that qualify them for these same judgments that all these others have already been found guilty of 
and sentence two. And that these ones are, they came in secretly. They're spreading their doctrine. They're spreading their ideas. And if you're not careful, you're going to be shipwrecked. You see that in the next verse. I'm not going to go too far there, but it says spots in your feast, in your love feast. Some think of the idea of a reef from that word spots. If you think of the notion of a reef and a ship and how it can, not knowing the reef is there, run upon it, rip a hole in the bottom of the ship. And our neighbor man will know what happens if the ship is at sea and it has a rip hole in the bottom of it. Right? Yeah, shipwreck. And that's what basically Judas said. You need to pay attention to the message presented. Because if you don't, shipwreck is what you are moving towards. So let's not move towards shipwreck in our own personal lives and in the church. Our Father, thank you for the privilege. And Lord, help us. We know you are able and willing, and we ask you to cause us to be willing to receive the help of the Spirit of the Lord in our lives. We ask in the name of Christ, our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you kindly. I appreciate your help. I mean, your kind listening.